Hey, today is gonna be a dynamic service. I know that there's some people standing in the back. We might have a few seats left. You can sit over there. You can sit in the pastor Mike chair. I have a throne back here uh, that we used your tithe money to lace it in gold. I'm just kidding. All the guests are like, I knew it. (laughs) But if any one of you guys wanna sit over here in this section, you have that. Or there's somebody try to save a seat with a coat. The Lord rebuke you for that. What do you think this is? What do you think this is? Turn your Bibles to John chapter six. I have a question. I gave you homework last week, and the homework I gave you was to read Matthew chapter six deeper. Did anybody do it? Okay, oh, all right, let's keep going. Turn the crowd mics off. Uh, Matthew chapter six, last week was profound. And we're gonna be looking at John chapter six today. I'm gonna be preaching for about 10 minutes And then I'm gonna bring the pastors up and they're gonna help me finish this with a panel. If last service was any indicator of what God wants to do, you're in for a treat. Um, I love the Bible. And I fell in love with the Bible as a teenager. And I just wanna remove any and all excuses you would have for not studying the Bible. I wanna encourage you, when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And when you read the Bible, the Holy Spirit will make simple people wise. And he will give understanding to the simple. So don't ever say, I don't read the Bible because I don't understand it. Say, I don't read the Bible because I haven't read it with the Holy Spirit. Because he will teach you all things. And I, I love the Bible. And we are students of the Bible here in this church. So are you, are you there at Matthew chapter 6? Okay, I want to read this to you. Oh, I love this. How many of you would love to go to Israel with me one day? Oh, man. I I was able to actually see the shore that we're going to discuss right now with my own eyes, and it changes your perspective. So after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. How many of you know when Jesus puts a coordinate in the GPS, he never does it on accident? You know, I don't think one step he walked, not even from birth, was out of alignment with God's will. Like when Jesus took his first steps, he was stepping into God's will. Like he, it was no accident with Jesus. So he, we see that after, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Tell your neighbor, let's go to the other side. Come on, now tell that person you ignored on the other, let's go to the other side. <laughs> Jesus will always demand that you go to the other side. Some of you are taking a perspective or an opinion of a friend. Why would you take their opinion if you never wanted their life? Get what I'm saying? Why would you take that person's perspective if you would never take their life? So Jesus has a way of always taking you to the other side. So there was something visually that he wanted to show the disciples. And for some of you, There's something that God's trying to show you, but you got to go on the other side. Somebody say, let's go to the other side. Like some of you were on the side of religion, demon possessed, and God had to take you to the other side and say, no, no, it's not about religion. It's about relationship. Let me cast those demons out. Some of you thought that Jesus was died and stayed dead and that there was no supernatural healing for your sickness. You had to go to the other side and see that he's still healing. Come on, some of you thought that church was all only you feeding a narcissist as a lead pastor's ego. You had to go on the other side and say that there's leaders who make leaders who make leaders and do ministry like Jesus. Somebody say, let's go to the other side. 
See, Jesus is always going to take you to show you something different than what you think it is. Because if he would have stayed where they were at, not went to the other side, they would not have been able to get this lesson. So here's the lesson quickly. Verse three, <laughs> I love this. The large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. How many of you know there's always gonna be a bigger crowd for healing than there is for suffering? Jesus will bring you into his program with the healing, but you're only gonna stay if you're willing to suffer. <laughs> Do I have any friends today? I, I feel like some of you are just like, I don't like him anymore. It's okay to shout me down. Listen, we're always gonna have more people attend our mass deliverances than we do a regular Sunday. Because, when you t because there's something about the miraculous that draws people, but you know, the, cl the closer you get to the, when you read the synoptic gospels and you look at the story of Jesus, the closer you get to the cross, the smaller the crowd gets. And so here's the thing, like how many of you believe in signs, miracles, and wonders but you're saying, God, I'm gonna be the one out of 10 lepers that comes back to thank you because it was really about you, not about the healing. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's, I don't want a miracle. I want the man behind the miracle. I don't want a heal, healing. I want the healer. See, there's something about that. And so this house is different because we're, I'm trying, I might've brought you in on a healing. The Lord may have done something miraculous in your life, but who's gonna walk that narrow path with me? Okay, so next, uh, where are we at? Okay, this is so profound to me. Then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Jesus, let me put it another way. Jesus took them to the other side and then taught them how to climb. If you wanna know God's program for discipleship, he'll change your perspective, and then he'll teach you how to build. He'll teach you how to climb. The, the, the lessons are, are always, John Maxwell puts it like this, everything you want in life is always uphill. Everything that will destroy you is always downhill, right? Disciplining yourself to sleep a full night and changing your diet, that's uphill. Getting drunk enough to pass out and then you get three hours of sleep, that's downhill, <laughs> right? Having the marriage of your dreams is up the mountain. It's a lot of work. Can I tell you a funny story? <laughs> So I'm getting over this cold, you guys can kind of hear it. And uh, yesterday I was um, teaching V1 College and I was doing this live session spontaneously and I had a cramp in my chest, but it was right where my heart was. And on the live, I was like, oh, is this it, Lord? <laughs> so I ended the live, all these college students were hitting, hitting people up. So I called Julie, I'm like, Julie, I'm pretty sure I had a muscle spasm, but I also might not make it. Julie starts yelling at me. I've been telling you, you're doing, you know, and so I thought to myself, my last, the last thing I'd hear from my wife is her yelling at me. And then that would transition to these angelic voices and the Lord would be like, come on, Pastor Mike, it's finished. Thank you so much for trying to serve your wife all those years. Thank you, Lord. My burden was heavy. She's watching right now. That's why I'm doing this. But we were laughing so hard. Okay, that had nothing to do with uh, John chapter six. <laughs> so everything is uphill. So Jesus takes them up this mountain because there is going to be a certain amount of suffering he calls us to. It's, you know, everybody wants to hit the 30, 40, 50 year mark for marriage, but man, that's a, long, that's a, that's a very tall mountain to climb. And so, you know, fulfilling your own sexual desires is downhill. Fulfilling the needs and desires of your spouse is uphill. 
Do you see how this works? And so Jesus was being so intentional in John chapter six, and then you see this. No, this is the part I wanted to get to. Verse four, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing this huge crowd was coming towards him, Jesus turns to Philip. He has a disciple moment. This is what he said. Hey, uh, I love this. He's like, hey, uh, Philip, you see that big crowd? There's about 5,000 people there. How, how do you think we could feed all those people? And he's looking, now you know Jesus. This is the thing, because no, the more I know Jesus, I see so, he, Jesus is sassy. <laughs> like Jesus was fun. Jesus was so different than the portrayals of the white guy. He also wasn't white, by the way. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you can slow clap that in. So, but Jesus had a personality because he, and I think for me, as I've grown as a pastor and a disciple maker, he like leans into Philip and he's like, hey, Philip, how do we feed all these people? And Philip's looking out. And he, now, this is what I love about verse six. So look at verse six now. Verse six says, and Jesus asked this question, already having a plan. That's sassy. That's ornery. You know what I mean? So Philip was being tested. Now I want to fast forward. Um, this is, we're looking at the prequels of Philip's life. This is like the prequel. There's going to be tens of thousands of people that meet Philip a little bit later as this apostle who brings revival. And the Bible even alludes to the fact in the book of Acts that he had a supernatural ability to traverse time and space. Some would call it teleportation. If that sounds weird to you, you're already in too deep if you're a Christian. Seriously, you believe in a virgin birth and that God came in flesh. That's already crazy. So if you can get in on that, you can get in on teleportation in the book of Acts. All we know is that Philip had a supernatural ability to travel. And then he shows up to regions where people had only received the baptism of John. And he's like, wait a second, you've never heard about the Holy Spirit and fire? And then revival takes place. This is Philip. That's how I felt coming out to Long Island. I'm like, you never heard about the Holy Spirit and fire? Oh, snaps. So that's what Philip will become. But right now, Philip has a problem in his mind. How many of you know that God is working on testing your mind right now? How many of you know the problem's not Long Island, it's not Brooklyn and Queens, it's your mind? Because somebody else will move into your neighborhood and buy a house in it in three years and you couldn't do it in 30, but the difference was not their bank account, it was their mind. Somebody else will show up in a Long Island, say it's the graveyard of churches and go in standing room only every growth season because the difference was here. And you know, the greatest vacation you'll ever get is not going out, it's going in and working on bringing strongholds down and submitting every toxic satanic thought and surrendering it to the word. That's why you can be alone but not be lonely because there's something happening in here that can sustain you. You're like, that's why people who like to be alone are really telling you, I'd rather be with my own thoughts that bring peace than listen to your thoughts come out through your toxic mind into your mouth. Is that helping? So what I've learned is that when you pull down strongholds and you take captive every thought that erects itself up against the word of God, what you're doing is creating a mind you can live in. And you don't need as many vacations. You, you, because, and see, what, what God was targeting through Jesus in Philip was there was a blockage in his mind. So here's how Philip responds. He must have been a Long Islander. <laughs> 
he goes, okay, Jesus, here's what I'm thinking. I'm looking at this crowd. This is verse seven. And he was like, if we were to feed all these people, I think it would take us half a year's wage. That's what the translation comes to. So I want you to think about how much your average middle-class person makes in this region or whatever region you live in and take that and cut it in half, 50%. So he looks at the problem and he's like, to feed all these people would take about $50,000. And Jesus was like, okay. And then while, while he's assessing Philip, you got these smart aleck disciples. I'm just going through the narrative of this chapter. It's so profound. The smart aleck disciples thought they were gonna be funny. Hey, Jesus, you see that little boy? He's got some loaves of bread and some fish. Maybe he, you know, well, how, we can't feed everybody with that. So there's two responses when Jesus confronts you with accomplishing the impossible through God. Are you following me? One response is you exchange the supernatural for the natural. Oh yeah, we could do this. It's just gonna cost that much money. What Philip was actually saying was, I'm stuck in the system of mammon. I'm not in the kingdom. I'm not in God's economy. I'm, I'm stuck in the Roman economy. And so for many of you, every single time you think about doing something great for God, you always get a mathematical equation that's connected to the United States economy or whatever country. And you're always responding back to God with how much money something costs when you're literally in relationship with the God who owns a cattle on a thousand hill. <laughs> you're literally in relationship with, Jesus shows up the seed of Abraham to say that, come on, you're blessed in the city, you're blessed in the field. And he's looking at Jesus saying, yeah, I think it's gonna cost half a year's wages. How real is that? How many of us are in relationship with Jesus telling him how much our dreams cost when he already paid for them with the cross? <laughs> Did you catch that? Then you got the other group. And this is the group that's like, you know what? I used to be depressed, but now I just cover it all with humor. I used to be mad that I live on Long Island and can't afford anything. I used to be mad, but you know what? I just learned how to be funny and sarcastic about it now. Because that's how I read the text. Can I, do I have a few more moments before I bring the pastors up? Do I, okay, can I preach? Because I wanna show you this. <laughs> this is so funny to me. I, you just can't unsee it. One of the disciples and, and you know, John did them dirty by naming them. <laughs> I'm just gonna say, they, he, he did them dirty. One of the disciples, Andrew, <laughs> that's for real how I read it. These were human beings. Hey, one of those disciples, you know, Andrew, there was 12 of them. I'm not gonna say the name, Andrew. <laughs> that's how I read it. One of his disciples, Andrew, Sim you know, Simon Peter's brother, just in case you think I'm talking about another Andrew. <laughs> There's personality in the word, man. They were doing them dirty. Vulnerability. Everybody says, Pastor Mike, I love your ministry. You're so transparent. I'm like, have you read the Bible? There's no other option. It says this. This is what he said. Hey, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are we going to do for so many people? That's literally how he's talking. Hey, Andrew's like, He's hearing the conversation between Philip and Jesus, and he gets sarcastic, and he's like, hey, there's that little boy over there. He's got, now listen, he see, they see on the mountaintop 5,000, so he goes, well, that guy's got five loaves. 
And Jesus is like, all right, you idiots. I want to show you something. But what he was, what he was assessing was their barriers, their limitations. Can I just give you a wisdom key? In order to be discipled correctly, your limitations must be confronted. You are not being discipled if you are in a church that allows you to remain where you're at right now. You are not in a good church if your limitations are not constantly being confronted. Because to be a disciple is a call into the supernatural. You can't afford it. You can't pay for it. You can't even do it without him. And God has always rolled this plan out. Old, Okay, Pastor Mike, take me old covenant. Show me where he did this to the people he was discipling. Well, I show you evidence number one, Joseph. Joseph, I'm gonna take you to second in command in an Egyptian government. And the way that I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna strip you of all of your relationships, all of your money, all of your influence, anything that could get credit for it. And I'm gonna throw you in a well. I'm gonna divinely orchestrate through my sovereignty, stripping everything away so that only I will get the credit for it. There's something about the way God disciples that he strips us of any and everything. And, and the, the thing that's crazy, I wonder, there's one last thing and we're gonna bring the pastors up is that some of you have been like, I've been so rejected, and God's like, mm-hmm. I feel like nobody understands me. Mm-hmm. I feel like I live in the worst place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when are you gonna hear his voice saying, that's why you're here? When are you gonna hear his still small voice? Oh, it's, this generation is so perverse. Everything's wrong. Mm -hmm. Why are you here? What if you're Joseph? And, and I want to show you something, because when you read chapter 6, it says this. Verse 6, when he said this to Philip, how are we going to buy this bread? He said this to test him, for he knew what he was already going to do. What if I told you that lower levels of discipleship is you're always being tested by the devil? Oh, watch pornography, drink some more alcohol, cheat, lower levels. That's, listen, what if we graduate from being tested by the devil to being tested by Jesus? What if your testing was a result of building and not breaking? What if, oh, what if your testing was a result of what you were accomplishing and not the testing of failure? Because you're never going to escape testing. It's just take on the greater pain. It hurts to be mediocre just like it hurts to be great. Why don't you choose the pain of discipleship to accomplish what God's got to you? You're going to have to choose a pain. Choose the pain of discipleship. And see, it says Jesus tested him. People are like, oh, God would never test me. You're being tested right now. I want to be that person. Oh, we were talking about this the other day. I want to be that person. Well, let me tell you who I don't want to be, and then let's get the pastors ready to come up. I don't want to be that person who gets to heaven, and I look around and go, why did I not believe for more? 
I don't want to be that. I'm telling you, I am, it, for though I am not, there's not one percentage of me that's atheist anymore. I believe everything in here to a T. I believe it more than I believe myself. I believe it more than I believe my own thoughts. I am submitted and surrendered to this. Whatever this says is what I say. Whatever this opinion or perspective is. And so I believe Jesus is going to return and walk right through the East Gate in Jerusalem. I believe every bit of it. And I do not want to get to heaven. And be the guy who's like, oh, I spent all my time frustrated, angry, depressed down, and this is what God is. This is what he can do. This is what he's been doing. I want to get to heaven and be one of these wild, rowdy, I want, I want Paul and all them to high five me and be like, you are one of us, bro. You are crazy, man. You believe God for anything. There was no barrier, no boundary that couldn't be accomplished through Jesus. Is there any other wild ones with me who are like, I'll get on the other side and there's going to be a high five line there's going to be Moses and all Joshua Jacob and they're all going to be waiting at the gate for me I'm like let's go that's what I want out of life because anything less than that diminishes the power of the cross oh so in in John chapter 6 and this is what I want to show you Jesus is testing them then you got the sarcastic one who's like, maybe this little kid can feed him. <laughs> and Jesus, he saw through the humor and he said, that's not, that's not humor, that's doubt. And the other one, that's not financial, that's fear. What if I told you that what you're dealing with, I hear people laughing. I'm like, that's not humor, that's doubt. I hear people telling me how they can get it done. I'm like, that's fear talking. That's fear. And so Jesus targeted that. And this is what Jesus does. And then we're gonna have a great talk. He, he goes, he, I think he literally was like, hey, let me show these guys. Their mind is limiting them. So he grabs the fish and the loaves from the boy, which if you think about it, it's like he's directly clapping back to the sarcastic ones. He's like, oh, you can't feed the multitudes with this little boy, it's not enough? You don't tell me what's not enough. See, see, this is how Jesus, this is how he discipled. Oh, you don't think that you can do it with your life? You think Pastor Mike's special? You think, he, you think I'm a respecter of persons? No, no, okay, come here, little boy. Let me take your meager portion. <laughs> he'll take somebody in your midst who believes and he'll multiply everything they have in their hands just to prove to you he can do it for you. That's my story. You think I was, I don't even know if I was born to preach and pastor. I think God just looked at my loaves and fish and said, I'll multiply his because he believes if you will believe. And so all of a sudden, Jesus, this is the step. This is how you multiply. You want me to teach you? Because this is what Jesus did in, Matthew, or in uh, John 6. Here's the process of multiplying matter. This is literally how he did it. It's not a formula. It's a process. He takes the little that he had, he brings it close, and, and the Bible says that Jesus lifted it up to heaven. <laughs> he, he literally blesses it. He says, thank you, Jesus, thank you, God, for this provision. Then, so what he's doing is he's taking it out of the natural realm. He's putting it into the spiritual realm. There's a transfiguration that begins to occur supernaturally. 
He's saying, I've got to pull it out of the natural, place it into the spiritual realm, and then when I bring it back down to earth, it has a different property to it. So when Daniel Santis is up here asking you to give to the local church, you take your money out of the system of mammon, you put it into God's economy, and it multiplies. It's just a scriptural principle. You can't, when you take your body and you say, God, this, I told this to Julie, I was like, your body is a temple. When you go in to get that surgery, they're not working on a body, they're working on a temple. It's not a surgery, it's construction. So that's why you get healed. It's like, because even when he resurrected his friend, it w- the Bible says that they wanted to kill J- Jesus and they wanted to kill Lazarus because Lazarus was a living, breathing testimony. So even when Jesus heals your body, he'll take it out of the natural, put it in the supernatural and say, now multiply more. I want to raise more people from the dead and I need them to see that I can do it. Do you guys see a principle here? So he begins to multiply all this provision. And as he begins to multiply it, then, he, then this is what Jesus does. Blesses it, transfig- I mean, it's like going through a transformation. He grabs it, then he hands it to the disciples. He goes, hey, do what I just did. And can you imagine there was a moment when they watched what should have been the last bit of the bread and it kept going? Can you, Jesus probably had the biggest smirk on his face. And he was like looking over his shoulder, like looking at the disciples like, And there was probably the beginnings of the thought, it's multiplying. Why is the bread not? Right at the moment where they started to realize it was multiplying, he said, hey, now you guys go do this too. Don't be sarcastic and don't be full of fear. Operate in faith. So that's what it means to be discipled. So I wanted to bring the the pastors here. Um, By the way, our house is so blessed between all these campuses and all these people globally online, we have some incredible pastors to shoulder the weight of this ministry. So can we all just take like a few seconds and just put our hands together in gratitude for the pastors of our house. And this is just some of them, and uh, they're amazing. And you know, when I was looking at this passage as we're coming to a close in this series, I was thinking about, Uh, John chapter six and that private conversation that Philip had with Jesus and then the other ones chime in and I was telling our pastors, I said, you know, I'm getting ready to share this. You know what would be so cool is if we would get vulnerable and we would share private conversations we've had so that others can see what it's like to be discipled in this house because how many of you know that discipleship flows down? So when Philip became Philip in the book of Acts, that's preaching revivals, I bet you there was some new guy who came up to him and said, oh, Philip, you don't understand. I, I, you don't understand. You're, you're a revivalist. You're on fire for God. And, no, and Philip said, hey, come here. Let me tell you a story. One time, Jesus, when he was still in flesh here, he took me to this mountain and he showed me 5,000 people. And he asked me, how are we going to feed them all? I know I just teleported to this revival and that's crazy to you. But you know where I learned how to believe with that level of faith? I answered with a really bad answer. And I told him that it was going to take $50,000 to do it. I said that to Jesus. And I can imagine Philip's disciples were laughing. You know, like, (laughs) Philip, you told Jesus that it was going to cost $50,000 to feed 5,000 people. You were so stupid, Philip. That's Jesus. And he's like, I know. (laughs) This is how I imagined the interactions would happen. And, and he said, then Philip would look in his disciples. He'd say, but wait a second. 
what are you telling Jesus he can't do in your life? That's how it flows. So I was telling the, the pastors, I said, wouldn't it be cool to bring you guys into our services and tell them about our private conversations and be vulnerable so that when they minister to you as a connect group leader or a dream team leader or a congregant, you know that flow and you get to see how the Lord does things in me and it goes down to them and it goes down to the people that they're ministering to. Would you guys wanna do this for a few minutes? Okay, so I've got a question. Any one of you guys can take this first. Uh, what, okay, <laughs> what things come to mind when you think about things that I saw in you or things that I confronted, kind of like that Philip moment? Because we've all had them. It happens to me in leadership all the time by those who are unfortunately responsible for me. Um, but what's, what, what are some stories that you guys think of? And anything goes, you could share something from last service again or something new. I mean, um, many of you don't know, I've known Pastor Mike um, for a pretty long time. And I just remember meeting Pastor Mike like in a chance encounter. I met him once. And, um, you know, it was in New York for Hurricane Sandy Relief help. And um, he went back to Indiana. We never, we never connected again. And, but we, you know, kind of stayed in touch every now and then through Facebook, you know. But um, one of the things I, you know, the way that Pastor Mike impacted me, you talk about, you know, he, he calls out things in you and he called you up as well. And he corrects. And I remember that um, when, when, when he came back, the first time I met him, I was at the highest point. And, and the second time I met him again, I was at my lowest point where, where literally I just didn't want to do ministry. I didn't want to be a pastor. And I was a lead pastor for many years, for those of you who don't know. And, um, you know, he and I, we went on, a, went on a journey. And one of the things that uh, many of you see Pastor Mike on the stage, but I think he does twice behind the stage than he does on the stage. I think we should applaud him for that. <laughs> and I remember that when, when, um, when, he, when he came back, I just, just want to not be around church. Don't want to be, I don't want to pastor. And um, he said, man, you know, I, I don't, he said to me very clearly, I said, I don't, I don't think God is through with you yet. There's more, there's more to your story. And, you know, we went on a journey where for almost an entire, for one year, literally, um, leading up to the, the pandemic, he and I would meet for one hour every, every afternoon at, Sayas, at Starbucks in Sayaset. And um, those, th those moments are priceless. Because I think one of the greatest gift of leaders or one of the most overlooked thing a leader that gives you is his time. And, and um, you know, I, I, I valued, I took, I, would took, I would took my notebook every day. Sometimes I share back some of the notes that we took. But um, the, the, the point, <laughs> yeah, the point I want to make is this, you know, Pastor Mike's one of the most unselfish person that, and, and selfish leader that you'll ever meet. Because during those, during those times, uh, Pastor Mike was mentoring me, he was mentoring me to plant church again. And, <laughs> and, and, um, we would just sit, we would just sit there, we'll just talk. And I remember, you know, he said, man, hey, don't give up. Let me and you go to Michigan. And we go to a link conference. And he said, man, after we come back, we'll talk. And, you know, he did one, another unselfish act was that he paid for my trip. That was really cool. I don't know why, I don't care about what you say. You know, I was cool to be paid for, okay? <laughs> <laughs> he, he paid for my trip and he said, come with me, Patrick. And we, and we went and he, 
he just blessed me, but he poured into me, and um, we, we came back, and we went on this crazy journey together, and um, little did we know that this was what God was orchestrating, but thank you so much for your time. You've been such, you're such a great pastor to me. Wow. I didn't know what he was going to say, but you know, I invested in you because I learned a secret a long time ago, and I, I'd love to share this secret with all of you guys as well. In the kingdom, you plant a seed in one person's field, but the crop comes up in your own. So I didn't know that he was going to pastor at V1. I just thought that I was stopping another pastor on Long Island from quitting ministry. Because I was like, we need every church we can get. I'll even take a Presbyterian with a good attitude. <laughs> and... Uh, I, you know, it was like, this is active warfare. I don't even care if we agree on everything. If we agree on Jesus, let's go. And I'm sorry to the press. Well, I, you got whatever. Um, <laughs> I spent two years in training in New York City by the biggest Presbyterian pastor in the world. So, um, you know, <laughs> it's true. Somebody's getting delivered right now <laughs> from a Presbyterian spirit. I don't know what. I'm just kidding. But. All I knew was that I committed to this man with no strings attached, and I was going to help him launch a church on Long Island, and I was like, I don't have a ton of time, but if you meet me before load-in for Syosset, anybody remember our Syosset campus? And I said, if you meet, Brooklyn's like the new Syosset at this point, you know? But uh, I said, if you meet me at the Starbucks, that's when I have time. And we would have these vulnerable conversations, and I would just pour into him, and I remember at a certain point, you know, you said, I feel like God is calling me to V1 church. And I said, no, he's not. But, I, but the Holy Spirit had already confirmed it to me. And I just didn't, I felt like, I, I tried to be so selfless that I was like, are you sure you want to do this? And you, how many of you remember at the height of the pandemic when the race riots were happening? So watch this. During the race riots, Every pastor in America was getting crucified for what they said and didn't say. Some of you guys had such witchcraft manipulation, Jezebel spirits. They were, people were literally emailing me scripts saying, say this in your sermon. So demonic, the neck trying to turn the head kind of stuff. And I mean, I was recording my sermons 30, 40, 50 times over to try to get every word right so that I could be accountable to what I was communicating to our church. It was that hard. You guys probably don't even know that. And, but what was funny is during a season where everybody was talking about race, me and him were sharing a table and building the kingdom. And it was so crazy because we got a vision to merge during the time. So it's, isn't it funny how the kingdom is always the opposite? So while the world was burning down over race, we were building each other up and we ended up merging and coming together one church here now. And it, it's such a testimony to his heart, his vision, and that investment that was made. So for some of you guys, the way that you, like I said, so into other people without any regard of what's going to happen, and sometimes it will just come up in your own field. So what about, there's so many more, much to this story. I feel like we'll have to do a whole. Um, what about the rest of you? Like, what are some times where we had the Philip Jesus conversations, things were confronted, Anything come to mind? Yeah, well, um, I mean, Pastor Mike, I've known you since I was 16 years old. <laughs> and I told the 9 a.m., he used to affectionately call me a little chicken nugget. 
I used to actually say he was so little, he was like a little fetus, and I would put him in my pocket. And I'd be like, hey, Evan, you want to go to load it? He'd be like, let's go. <laughs> it's true. He was 16, so yeah. I think sophomore in high school or yeah, junior roundabout. or something like that. Yeah, yeah. and, and that's, that's when I met you, Pastor Mike. And in, in so many ways, you've really raised me up into adulthood, really. I'm 24 now, um, and you've been such a father to me, and you have such a father's heart. And how many of you guys know that the, one of the signs of a good father is that he will bring a word of discipline. He'll bring a word of correction, and that's actually the love of a father's heart. And I remember there was one instance, this was actually years ago now, I think. Um, but, you know, I was going through some stuff. I was feeling really low, uh, and I was just struggling emotionally. And I, I got on the phone with you, and I was, I was telling you all the things I was insecure about. Like, oh, man, I feel like, you know, people view me this way. I feel like I just, I'm not good at this, not good at that. Like, I'm failing in all these areas. And like a good pastor, you let me just say everything I was going to say uh, and just let it all out. And then after I, I say what I was saying, you, you pause for a second, and then you say, Evan, it, it seems like insecurity to you, but it's actually pride masquerading as insecurity because you care so deeply about how others view you and that's actually pride and I'm like I didn't want to hear that at the time that didn't feel good that really that really cut me to my core but in a way that I so desperately needed because you you think oh insecurity is just extreme humility but it's actually a hyper awareness of how people perceive you and so that was a word that really marked me at a, at a crucial juncture of my life. And ever since then, that's just been one of those milestone conversations. And because you have such a father's heart to speak a difficult word, um, I've experienced more of the things of God, more in ministry, more in life. I've seen God do so many things and been able to be a part of so many things because you have the courage to speak a word like that. So thank you, Pastor Mike, for having a father's heart. Yeah, it's funny because Evan and I have had a lot of difficult conversations because I always feel the burden of like, how do I raise up these young men in the faith and not produce the pastors that hurt all of us? Was that too real? Like, how do I say I'm going to raise up young men and young women that don't become the kind of pastors that hurt all of us? And so I was like, man, that's not insecurity. That's pride. You don't do it because you care what people think about you. You do it unto the Lord. And you do it, you know, and we just had those hard conversations. And it's been amazing watching you grow and develop and change. And um, you know what it comes down to? And this is what, it, you know, it's like you showed up at Starbucks every week. You showed up year after year, 16 to 24. Now you're big Evan, not chicken nugget Evan. Your husband Evan, you know? He's like one of those, remember those things that you, they were like in a pill form and you put them in the water and they grew into like a dinosaur? I felt like I just put Evan in the water and he just became big Evan now. He's married, praise God, and he married way out of his league. I taught him well. That's discipleship. I'm like, you see how I faked Julie out? You got to do the same. You're, you got to find a woman you don't deserve. That's who you go for. And he's like, I see you, Pastor Mike. So, you know, God's really been using him in a, in a big time way. Do you, what are you guys thinking? Just those difficult conversations. Well, um, first thing that popped, this is different from before, but during worship, I just thought that this is the first time uh, my wife and I actually got and I share uh, the, the 
time to minister together to the public. And that's something you and Pastor Julie modeled for us. And we never been to a church that honors everybody equally so much like anywhere else. And that, man, just makes me cry because <laughs> you have pushed out of us the best in excellence. And what I wanted to share is like, when we decided to move from the headquarters into this building and I got a phone call, say, hey, look, you're a plumber. You can help out with the construction. I'm like, yeah, sure, no problem. Let's go. Um, we were in a really tight budget. And I said to myself, hey, man, we, we shouldn't even be spending money here and doing this all this with excellence. Just change the seats on the old toilets, paint a little bit here. We don't need to do much. But you're bringing out excellence out of us. And this is the outcome of it. Uh, and it just touches me because it's like we're, right before we like talk about bringing everything to the Lord and submitting everything to the Lord. But that sometimes is so hard on us. And I just want to say thank you for pushing us to bring excellence into the kingdom. And you know, I was just saying, you're going to get me crying. I didn't know what they were going to say, by the way. I just gave them a few questions and said, think about these for tomorrow. And I was thinking the other day about what you just said. Because the one thing I'll say about V1 Church that makes it so special is we may not do everything perfect, but you are seeing large numbers of people give their best. And I was thinking like, for so many churches, we've all held back our best. Because we're like, well, what does it matter? What does our best matter? You know, it's gonna be judged, it's gonna be misunderstood. Our best is gonna be overlooked. We've all been a part of ministries and churches where like, our best doesn't matter here. And one of my goals with V1 Church is to build a place where your best matters. It's not overlooked. It's not misunderstood. It's not judged. It's like, no. And I was, I can't tell you how many times when the worship team and I, you know, space at Westbury a couple weeks ago and I look and I'm like, wow, like this. So if you're like, what's different about the atmosphere of this church? I really do feel like it's like you're feeling people say, this may not be the best, but it's my best. And there's some, that's a sweet smelling aroma to God that actually says, man, this is what, you know, David said, I will not give God that which costs me nothing. And that's why David was the best worship leader of all time, because every worship set was his best. That's what it took him to the king's court. And I think what, what, that's what I'm saying. I'm telling you guys, I want to get to heaven and I want all of us to be like, we did it. We gave our best. We were not perfect. We hurt each other on accident. We, but we gave our best. We made it. We finished our mark. And I think that the, the journey you guys have been going on is like, man, Pastor Mike's hard to be under his leadership, but he'll get the best out of you. And I, and it's only because that's what the Lord does to me. <laughs> so this, and then what I love about what you guys have been doing is I see you leading people and I see you now being like give me your best in translation give me your best you know give me and he's like come on guys and then all of a sudden for you I think was today the debut of Dutch translation so today he he was the conduit for translation in Dutch do you speak Dutch but when he gave his best not just Spanish translation came to V1 but Dutch as well and there's many more languages to come. Amen. Exica. Just to add on to what my husband was saying, where Pastor Mike has pushed us to our excellence, um, 
we came with a lot of baggage and especially me because I was part of a council that if you were unpopular or didn't have a certain last name, a female, you weren't on the altar kind of sort of thing. So that, we came with church hurt. So we were in a moment where we wanted to just be, we were also like spiritually stuck, but we realized for years we weren't growing spiritually because we were so, we were just hope, baggage upon baggage upon package. But it wasn't until, well, we were like, we know we want to do something. There was a passion in our heart. We know we want to work with the Spanish community because of our experiences where, you know, he comes from a different country. And I'm like, and we want to help out the Spanish community. But we just, we, so we were just stuck. But we come to V1 and out of nowhere, um, he's like, Pastor Mike wants to talk to us. And I'm like, hey, maybe translation. Hey, maybe this is the way God is. And little did we know <laughs> that it was going to be part of the pastoral care team because it was a global vision. It was not just going to be a little thing. It was going to be a global vision with translations being all over. And then barriers was broken off of me because I was like, I was already like, what, what can I say? What can, excuse, excuse, excuse. Because I was, I, I'm good at that, putting excuses up. And all of a sudden, all my life, brought up and raised in church, no pastor has called this out on me. And so he called out the Jonah spirit out on me. No pastor. No pastor has called out fear in me. Because that was, I realized that all this time when I was putting excuses and people would see things in me and be like, yeah, I'm, I'm in the background. No pastor could do what Pastor Mike and Pastor Julie has done and encouraged me the way they have encouraged us together. Wow, you're going to just seeing you guys minister together. There's such an anointing on both of you. And this is like really, I think, unintentionally like a graduation ceremony. I wanted to get vulnerable, but she's being so nice saying that I was encouraging. But when I called out that Jonah spirit, it was deep. And you know what Jonah did, if you know the story, Jonah was used by God to, to make a revival in Nineveh. But the end of his story is he's mad because the revival didn't happen the way he thought it was gonna happen. So how many of us keep going to church and be like, it's not how I think it should be, so I'm going to be mad. And, you know, or life isn't how I think it should be, or this doesn't play out. We're always putting our thoughts on God. Our, and I just looked at it, and I was like, but here's the thing. The Lord called it out in me. And the Lord dealt with a Jonah spirit in me. I remember for the first several months of pastoring Long Island being so mad and being like, God, there's only 28 people. Like, they don't even care. I'm like, these people don't even go to church every week. I'm like, they're out at brunch and they have the audacity to even take a picture and put it up on their phone. We're at brunch. And I'm like, you better be at church. And I was so mad at the Ninevites. I was so mad at the Ninevites. And remember the Lord said, you have a Jonah spirit. I called you here and one of the greatest revivals in the history of the United States is gonna happen through those Ninevites that you're mad at and you need to break that Jonah spirit off of you because these people are, are my people. And I remember, so then when I met you, I was like, oh Lord, she's me because I'm the excuse guy and this my sister, the excuse sister and the excuse brother. So I was able to call out in her what, I, what the Lord had already dealt with in me. And then all of a sudden, now you're doing that with other people and you're taking that ministry down and be like, don't give me an excuse, give me your best. And greatness is coming out of all of you guys. And this is the thing, then they take that to the connect group leaders. The, they take that to the dream team leaders. They take that to you guys in conversations. And I just wanna end like this. Would you all just stand on your feet with me? I wanna pray for you. Remember, there's the prequels. So you might have met them. This is Philip, the revivalist. He's at Space of Westbury doing the prayer. And, you know, 
1,500 people are screaming. Then he goes to the global online. Oh, it's Pastor Patrick, my favorite pastor. Well, let me take you to the prequels. Let me show you the story when we were having a private conversation in Starbucks and he didn't even want to be in ministry anymore. Oh, this is Pastor Evan. He, he didn't do anything. He never gets tired. He never complains. He's at every service. Oh, let me show you emo Evan with the swoop over his eyes. Also in a Starbucks. Starbucks is like our embassies. Everybody cries in Starbucks. We all cry at Starbucks together. But let me show you that Evan where I said, hey man, I know it feels like insecurity, but it's pride. I know it feels like fear, you know? And so I wanted, to, I wanted us all to be vulnerable, to show you like, yeah, one day we'll all be Philip, revivalist, teleporting, doing amazing things. But I gotta take you back to Philip who tells Jesus, I think it's gonna cost 50,000 to feed all these people because where I wanna take this church, we will not ever be able to afford it. It's gonna have to be a supernatural blessing from God. Where God wants to take you in your life is never gonna make sense, but how many of you feel your heart opening to the supernatural? Does anybody feel like you're being discipled now to believe for the impossible? Am I the only one? Does somebody feel their heart opening to say, okay, I'm, because see, on the lower level, you're always tempted by the devil, but you gotta graduate. You're saying, I'm being tested by God. And see, what happens is, and I've been saying this each week, if Moses could go back to the Red Sea knowing what he knows now, He'd be like, hey, y'all, why don't you start singing this song now? Why don't you start worshiping now? This bad, bad boy's about to split, and we're going to walk on. Hey, he'd have been like, hey, Egypt. Hey, come and get me, y'all. Because he already knew the outcome is he wins. Don't wait to die to act like you would do it differently. Die to self and do it differently now. Woo! Come on, does somebody hear me? Don't wait to get to heaven. Bring heaven here to earth. Don't, don't have a regret about what you didn't believe for. Die to self and believe for it now. If you want to step into the impossible, lift your hands with me. I'm going to release an oil of the anointing for the impossible. Come on. This thing is getting ready to multiply in your life. Yes, yes. Some of you are going to live better off of the crumbs from the table that God prepared before your enemies than what you thought was the main course. Now, God, I release faith, faith, faith over every single person under the sound of my voice from the top of their head to the soles of their feet. I release the oil like you release Moses released to Aaron the oil of the anointing over every mind. I break off every limitation in Jesus' name. If you receive it, would you just shout amen? Come on, if you receive it, come on, give me an amen. Hallelujah. Church, we love you. We're so thankful for you. We're going to flip over to the 1 p.m. service if you want to double dip, if you want to serve in kids, if you want whatever, whatever the Lord's calling you to do. But I want to see you next week. Next week, we're starting a new series called Home for Christmas, three-part series on the orphan spirit. <laughs> Get ready. <laughs> three-part series on the orphan spirit starting next week. It's called Home for Christmas. I want to see you guys. And we have baptisms. So if you're like, what's my next step? Be baptized. Let's start that next week. Who's getting baptized next week? Sign up on the mobile app now. Let's, let's make this happen next week. I want to see you. We want to baptize you here or in Brooklyn. Come on. Love you guys so much. I'll see you next week.